Well, I'm looking forward uh, to doing a short series on relationships. And uh, what we'll, we're going to do in this series is basically see how to handle conflict within relationships, uh, whether it's marriage or whether it's parenting or whether it's your siblings or coworkers, teammates, acquaintances, the person standing in front of you in the checkout line, the person that's across from you in their vehicle. How do you handle conflict in relationships? So that's what we're going to be focused on over the next few weeks. And uh, God's Word always, always provides direction and insight into how to handle these things. A lot of times we bypass it or we just sort of forget to look there. Let me give you an example uh, when we start dealing with relationships. Let me, let me pick on marriage for a second, okay? Um, for those of you married, you, you know the challenges, okay? The fact that men and women are different is obvious, right? Uh, but in so many more ways besides physical and emotional, uh, what a challenge. I'm officiating a, a wedding ceremony this, this coming Saturday, and I was actually talking with another couple this week about how I think men and women can look at the same thing and see it completely different. For instance, when you get an invitation in the mail to go to a wedding, ladies, you probably get excited. Like, oh, we're invited to a wedding. We're going to a wedding. And oh, yeah. You're looking at the calendar. You're planning it out. Men, we're like, we just got subpoenaed, okay? We're just like, oh, we've got to go to a wedding, right? It's so different. It's night and day. Ladies, you're planning, what am I going to wear? What am I going to wear? You're thinking about all exciting that. Guys are like, oh, man, I'm going to have to wear something. Um, and we, we sort of grudge that thought and hold on to it, right? We are, we are so different, are we not? Now, I asked my father-in-law once, I said, you know, after 50 years, you call your wife darling and, and love and honey, and I said, what's the secret? He goes, well, I forgot her name, so, and I forgot that. I don't, I'm scared to ask her, so I just call her that. Okay, actually, he didn't say that, um, but I, I would not throw him under the bus, but it wouldn't put me, I wouldn't put it past him, but anyway. Seriously, we, we are so different, aren't we? Our natural differences, the reality of sin in our life, all these things causes relationship strains, it causes brokenness and challenges. And here's the thing, it's not if there's going to be a challenge in your relationship with somebody, it's when the challenge comes in your relationship. You might have conflict right now in your own home. And, and I'm going to tell you here, for every joy, there's always a struggle, isn't there? So whether it's between a husband and wife, parent and child, whether it's between siblings or a co-worker or a teammate, uh, acquaintances, here, here's the truth. These conflicts can't be helped. They cannot be fixed. They cannot be restored until your relationship with God is restored. That has to happen first. Can there be a fix for your relationship? Absolutely. But before all that, you've got to double-check your relationship with God. On our own, we can't fix each other. We can't. As much as I may try to fix my wife or my kids, I can't. We, we all have problems. We are not that perfect family. Okay. Let me give you an example. Um, if I'm going to go out to mow lawn, prior to mowing, I might clean it. I typically clean the mower afterwards, but I might clean it up a little bit, double-check some things, check the oil, put some gas in it, 
maybe sharpen the blades, start it up. But if I back away from the mower, guess what happens? Nothing. You see, that mower to actually get the job done, even though it's been prepared and ready to go, it's not going to do anything until somebody steps behind it and pushes it or gets on it and operates it. Makes perfect sense, right? Here's what I want you to understand. For the Christian, the Holy Spirit is the one who pushes, who operates. And without God's Spirit working in me, I'm not going anywhere. The mower might be running, but nothing's getting done. I may be existing on this planet, but without the Holy Spirit working in me, nothing's going to get moved forward. Nothing will be accomplished. So this is what I want to do today is just talk about that number one relationship we need to establish first. And it might be so simplistic. It might be so basic that you're going to sit here and say, oh, here we go. But here's the thing. If we don't get this right, your other relationships, you're going to struggle. We already struggle enough as it is, right? So let's start here. Let's begin with a few simple truths because God is all about relationships. Open up your Bibles. The first book in the Bible is Genesis. If you open up to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll bring one to you. Genesis chapter 2. God is all about relationships. This is the point. This is the truth we want to establish as we look into God's word. And we don't need to establish the truth. It's already been established. We're just going to point this out. And that is this. We were created for relationships. God makes this very clear. Look at Genesis chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 18. It says, The Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. Did you hear that? As much as we like to be on our own, as much as we like singleness uh, or just, let me just say, God, I need to get away. I understand we need that solitude at times, right? But we were created for relationships. God said, It's not good to be alone. Because this, I will make a companion who will help him. So what does God do? Look at verse 19. The Lord God formed from the soil every kind of animal and bird, and he brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And Adam chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, the birds, the wild animals, but still there is no companion suitable for him. So God creates all the animals. The animal kingdom is created. The birds are created, and, animal, and they're coming to Adam, and Adam's naming them. How he came up with names, I don't know, but he's just creatively giving them name after name after name. He's surrounded by a zoo, right? He's got to be happy now. No. Still no companion suitable for Adam. I don't care if you've got awesome pets at your house. God wants more than you to have a pet. He wants you to have a relationship with another person, right? So look what happens in verse 21. So the Lord God caused Adam to fall into a deep sleep. He took one of Adam's ribs, closed up the place from which he'd taken, then the Lord God made a woman from the rib of Adam and brought her to Adam. Verse 23, at last, Adam exclaimed, she's part of my own flesh and bone. She'll be called woman because she was taken from a man. Incredible part from the very beginning of creation. God establishes this truth, this point of of truth that we need to fully understand. You were not created to be alone. God created other people to be in your life, to have relationships. 
They are important. They have value. We need to make sure we understand this because when we look around, as much solitude or like, I can't stand to be around other people. You need to understand, God created you to be in relationship with other people. But more important than maybe a husband and wife, more important than parent and their child, more important than your co-worker or siblings, more important than those people you run into or you work with or play with your teammates, more important than all of that is a relationship with the God of this universe. Yes, God says, I don't want you to be alone. I'm creating a helpmate. I'm creating somebody to be with you, but I am also here to have a relationship with you. In the book of Exodus, chapter 34, verse 14, it says this, You must worship no other gods, for the Lord, whose very name is Jealous, is a God who is jealous about his relationship with you. God desires to have a relationship with you, and something else gets in between you and God, or between myself and God. God's a very jealous God. He does not like that. Because you were created, and I was created to be in relationship with God. And nothing should block that. But our relationship with God, here's another thing we need to know. Our relationship with God comes through Jesus Christ. Romans 5.11 says, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends with God. Look at the next verse, Romans 5.18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for everyone. But Christ, one act of righteousness, brings a right relationship with God and new life for everyone. God wants to have a relationship with us. He's very jealous about anything getting between us. So he gives us his son, Jesus Christ, to create that relationship, to bridge the gap, so we can have a relationship with him, a new life, one established by Jesus Christ's act on the cross, We have that opportunity, but understand this. This relationship isn't like a wedding, isn't like a marriage contract, a certificate you sign. It isn't a handshake. It isn't a a completing an application, fill out here and sign on the dotted line. That's not the kind of relationship God wants to have with us. It's called a covenant. And that covenant is a sacred pledge that's based on trust between two parties. The trusting relationship between the two parties becomes the most important factor. Everything else flows from this, between that trust that's established. The way it started was that God chose to create people in his own image and likeness. Again, if we were to go back to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, you're there in chapter 2, just flip back a page. In verse 27, it says, So God created human beings in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. The identity, basis, foundation begins right there in Genesis 1. God created us. Male, female, in the image of God. In his likeness. In order that we might live as spiritual beings with the freedom to enjoy a loving relationship with the God of this universe. That's how we were created. And in relationship with God, we are blessed as recipients of being in that relationship with him.
The one secret to happiness was uh, the trustful surrender of our lives to the, the will and purposes of God. As long as people are obeying God, as long as we're in that relationship with God and we're being obedient to Him, and we remain dependent on God in all things, we would enjoy an intimate relationship with God and the benefits of being in that relationship. Some of us understand that somewhat from the relationships we have with certain people. You become friends with certain people, and they may have something that they bring to your relationship that you wouldn't have. Here's a very, very simple idea of this, and it's very trite, okay? But you've got a buddy who owns a truck. You don't have a truck. You need help moving. Guess who's got a truck? Your buddy, your friend, right? The benefit of having a relationship with them. But here's the thing. I'm not having a relationship with my friend just because he has a truck. Boy, I probably should have a friend who has a truck. So if someday I move, I've got a friend with a truck. No, my relationship was established with that friend. And it just so happens he has a truck. And I get to enjoy that benefit just as my friend probably enjoys the benefits of certain things in my life that he needs. When you're in a relationship with the God of this universe... And you trust in him and you're in that relationship. He has these benefits, so to say, that we are able to receive and be a part of. But here's the problem. There's always a problem, isn't there? Sin. Disobedience. Enters the world through Adam. And thanks to Adam's disobedience, that intended relationship between us and God is destroyed. It's, it's completely destroyed. Sin caused fear. The trust relationship is broken. But here's the, here's the good news. God wasn't done. The relationship is broken. Trust is broken. Now what? God says, oh, I've still got a plan. I've still got a plan. Isn't that a good thing? No, God's got good plans. God desires that people believe in him. God desires that we trust him. Hebrews 11.6 says this. It's up on the screen. And it is impossible to please God Without faith. Anyone who wants to come to him must believe that God exists and that he rewards those who sincerely seek him. How many times have you met somebody? Well, I don't, I don't believe in God. I don't believe God. If they don't believe God, they don't trust God, they're never going to have a relationship with him. They're never going to understand the benefits of having faith in God. And it's not about receiving benefits or having the, the things that God, the blessings that God gives. It's not what it's about. But it's about this trusting relationship between us and God, a covenant. And God wants us to trust him. And when trust or faith, as it says in Hebrews 11, 6, is present, God can work through his people. And when unbelief is present, though, it goes the same way. God chooses to do nothing. Unbelief always leads to disobedience and sin. If I've worked with a person who's come to me and says, Hey, Rex, I just want to let you know I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. It's one of the saddest things to hear somebody say, right? And I've heard it. It's been said to me. Well, here's the truth in that statement. Because they choose not to believe in God, they have unbelief. God won't do anything through them. But when I do believe in God and I do trust him, now God can do something through you. So a covenant relationship takes place when we place our faith our trust in God, followed by our obedience to do his will. I trust him. Now I'm going to act on that trust, faith and trust. That's a person who believes in 
Say, I do believe. Well, then you're going to move and you're going to direct your entire life according to your faith. To say, I have faith in God and yet not live as you have faith in God is hypocrisy. To say one thing and do another. And for some people, they believe then you might not even be saved at all. Because if you really believe and you've placed your faith in God, your actions should follow. I've said many times, belief dictates behavior. Do you really believe? Then your behavior is going to show it. If you're a big fan of a certain team and you really believe they can win, you'll probably show up maybe dressed in their gear and you'll probably cheer them on and you will stay around till the last second because you believe your team might pull it out even when they're behind, right? Oh, I believe, I believe they can do it, right? And your behavior shows it. But if you don't really believe in them, like me and the Cubs, you turn the TV off in the third inning when they're losing. That's just the way it rolls, right? Belief dictates behavior. God restores the relationship that was lost by sin when man in faith yields God's work to God's work in his life. Salvation, we know, is only by faith. I don't work my way into heaven. Salvation is by faith. Actions... The things I do is evidence of my faith. I want you to think about this. The covenant relationship is with the holy God of this universe. Did you ever think about that? Your covenant relationship is with a holy God. Strike that. Your relationship is with the only one and holy God. We sit here this morning in a, in a in brick and mortar, right? Just a building. It's just a building. We call it the church. But we gather here as those who have placed their trust in who? A pastor? No. A mission statement? No. Leadership of men and women? No. You place your faith in a holy God who operates and directs this world. And when we place our faith in God, it's through this covenant relationship that God says, I promise to accomplish my purposes through you, the church. And God promises to give us security, and he guarantees that he'll take care of his people. He'll provide you with an eternal home. Those are wonderful blessings, aren't they? Because of your faith in God through Jesus Christ, you have an eternal home. You know today that if you were in an accident, if you were to, to, to just pass out and die or whatever it may be, you know where you're going to be in God's presence, right? You have eternity guaranteed. And the worst of life situations, whatever they may be that you are facing right now, in those situations, our relationship with God is solid because God is faithful. He will not abandon us. No matter how good or bad life is for you right now, if you have a faith that's placed in God through Jesus Christ, he will not abandon you. Look what Isaiah has to say in Isaiah 54, 10. It says this, For the mountains may move and the hills disappear, but even then my faithful love for you will remain. If you got your Bibles, you might want to write this reference down and come back and underline this next part. My covenant of blessing will never be broken, says the Lord who has mercy on you. Think about that. How many times has somebody broken a promise to you? How many times has somebody went against their word? 
How many times have you been hurt by somebody because they said one thing and did another? Our holy God says, I will not break my word with you. What I said will happen. What I promise will be. In Exodus chapter 19 and 20, we can see the first covenant relationship that God establishes between God and the Israelites. God instituted a relationship with the people of Mount Sinai. Uh, the Ten Commandments, if, if you remember, were sort of the, the guiding uh, direction and laws, uh, the requirements of this relationship. The commandments were not uh, the, for the world in general, but it was for his people and how to direct them. They were the people that God chose to enter into a covenant relationship. God said, I'm choosing you, the Israelites. I'm giving you my commandments, a requirement for how to live, for us how to relate to one another. He didn't give it to everybody. He gave it to his people. And that covenant determined how God would relate to them from that day forward. If they kept the covenant, blessings. If they broke the covenant, curses. Turn in your Bibles to the book of Deuteronomy. You're in Genesis. Just move forward a couple books. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy chapter 30. In Deuteronomy chapter 30, I'm going to start reading verse 15. It says this. Now listen. Today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster. I'm going to stop for a second. If somebody were to stand before you and say, I'm going to offer you a choice. You can choose life or death. You can choose prosperity or disaster. How many of you are going to choose life and prosperity? All of us, right? I don't think there's anybody in this room that says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm death and disaster. It sounds good to me. It ain't going to happen, is it? It seems like such a simple question, right? But look what it goes on to say. For I command you this day to love the Lord your God, to keep his commands, his decrees and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you'll live and multiply and the Lord your God will bless you and the land you are about to enter and occupy. But if your heart turns away and you refuse to listen... If you're drawn away to serve and worship other gods, then I warn you, now that you will certainly be destroyed. You will not live a long, good life in the land you're crossing to Jordan to occupy. Today, I've given you the choice between life and death, between blessing and curses. Now I call on heaven and earth to witness the choice you make. Oh, that you would choose life so that you and your descendants might live. You can make the choice by loving the Lord your God. Obey him. Commit yourself firmly to him. This is the key to your life. And if you love and obey the Lord, you will live long in the land the Lord swore to give your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I mean, the people of God were given a standard by which they could relate to God. He's holy, therefore we need to be holy. That was the standard. It was a covenant that they chose to enter on that day. If they remain true to the covenant then God would bless everything they did. He would bless when they entered a new land. He would bless their children. He would bless their crops. He would bless their work. In battle, they would win. But the opposite was true as well. If you disobeyed God, your land would be cursed. Your children would be cursed. Your job would be cursed. In battle, you would be defeated. 
So consider this. God calls all of us in this room into a covenant relationship with him. When we are in that relationship with God, we enjoy the benefits of a holy God. When we are in that relationship with God and we are obedient to him, we receive blessings. But when we step outside of that covenant relationship with God, we experience the consequences of a broken relationship. Let me give you an example here. When I, when I flew to Atlanta this past spring, um, I don't fly that often, but and I get always a little nervous about flying. Not like, not that I would freak out or like I can't do this, but I, in the back of my mind, I always have a little, a little thought like, how can something so big get off the ground and stay in the air for so long? Those kind of things just amaze me, right? Why well, step into what a 150 ton metal plane? It speeds down a runway and lifts off the ground and just shoots thousands of feet into the air. You know, gravity won't let me get off the ground about 20 inches. That's probably exaggerating. I don't know if I can get off three inches off the ground, but gravity pulls me back down pretty quick. It's just the way it works, okay? But thanks to the law of aerodynamics, under certain conditions, a heavy object like a plane can go against the force of gravity and be lifted high into the air. I don't know how that works. I can't explain it to you. I'm not, I'm not good with engineering, but I do know this. It's the law of aerodynamics, right? But here's the thing. This is what I do. I get on the plane not worrying about the laws. I get on the plane. I get myself uh, seated and get comfortable. I buckle in. I turn my phone off. I pull a book out. I start to read. I get comfy. I eat some peanuts, about 30 that come in a little bag and and then i get a juice and and i just wait till i land three hours later that's what i do i enjoy the benefits of being inside that plane but here's the thing if i choose to step outside the plane like any point in time it's like you know what i'm tired of sitting here i think i'll just step outside the plane first of all you can't right but if you could choose to do that and step outside the plane what happens the law of gravity takes place and you plummet to death. It's the way it works, right? Being in a covenant relationship with God is like trusting the plane and being safely inside. Whether I understand how it works or not, but stepping outside that covenant relationship with God is like trying to step off the plane when it's in midair. It leads to death. Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25 says this, Oh, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this life that's dominated by sin and death? Thank God the answer is Jesus Christ our Lord. In this sin, in these broken relationships we have, in the conflict that surrounds us, here's the good news. God says, I want you to be in a covenant relationship with me. I want you to trust me and enjoy the benefits. But you can't do it on your own. You can't defeat sin on your own. Praise God we have an answer. Jesus Christ. That's a good answer, isn't it? Amen? You still with me? <laughs> to be in a covenant relationship with God, understand this, it's a privilege beyond imagination. It really is. It's an invitation to blessing, to life eternal. And however, as we read through the Old Testament, we discover that, that what's true then is not true today. Or actually it is. We still have the invite to engage in a covenant relationship today 
just as they did in the Old Testament. To obey God's law, to listen, to obey. But here's the thing, sin bends us towards disobedience. And what we discover is that God's holiness is at a level that we can't achieve on our own. To be holy like God, I can't do that. Right? You can't do that. And we struggle. We're incapable of living out the laws of God. And so what we discover about the Old Testament uh, is that it just basically points out our sinfulness. I can't meet those standards. But it points us towards an, an answer, Jesus Christ, to help us with this new covenant. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, comes to earth and he accomplishes all the requirements of God's law on our behalf. He is perfect. He's Sinless. He's fully obedient to God. So in Christ, we have everything that we need for life and goodness. Romans chapter 1, verses 8 to 4, and 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4. Let me read to you from Romans 8, 1 to 4. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus, because you belong to him. The power of life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. Listen to verse 3. The law of Moses, which we talked about, right, was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. Listen, he sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. God said, I'm done with this. I'm going to defeat death and sin once for all. I'm going to do it by coming down in the flesh. My son Jesus will be that sacrifice. Verse 4. He did this so the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us. Who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead we follow the Spirit. This new covenant gives us hope. It gives us joy. 2 Peter 1, 3-4 says, By his divine power, God has given us Everything we need to live a godly life. See, in this new covenant, now God now says, I want to give you what you need to live a godly life. We have received all this by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. And because of his glorious and excellence, he's given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable you to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. What am I trying to say? There's an old covenant and a new covenant. Look at the differences on the screen. Old covenant is this. Man fails to fulfill the covenant. We can't. Those are the Ten Commandments, right? But in the new covenant, God does everything for us. The old covenant was laws written on stone tablets. God says the laws of God are now going to be written on your hearts. The old covenant brought conviction of sin. Boy, I messed up. I made a mistake, right? Look what the new covenant does. It forgives our sin and cleanses us from all unrighteousness. It reveals a corrupt heart that resists the will of God, but the new covenant says there's a new heart that's responsive to the heart of God. Finally, it says God uh, gave laws to, fo- to follow, but we did not have the power to follow those laws. But with the new covenant, God gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us to know and do God's will. And here's the thing. If you obey the old covenant, you'll be blessed, right? But in the new covenant, it says, I will put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my obedience. There's a difference between that old covenant and the new covenant that we have through Jesus Christ. And when we understand this new covenant relationship with God, we can live with confidence and assurance that God will be faithful to keep his promises. This new covenant is no longer with 
just a nation. It's for us today. We can partake in this new covenant. When you enter into a relationship with God, it's through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross. That new relationship transforms our lives. We belong to God and we follow Christ. 1 Peter 2, 9-10 says this. But you're not like that. You're a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God for he called you out of darkness into his light. Once you had no identity as people, now you're God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you've received God's mercy. Listen carefully. This relationship with God is a personal relationship, but never private. I don't know if you've ever heard people say this before. Well, my faith is private. No, it's not. Your faith is personal, but it's never private. When I got married, Jenny and I had a brand new relationship. There are things we do as a married couple we never did before. We are committed to each other. There's, a, there's privacy and an intimacy that we experience that we did not experience before marriage, but our relationship is very public. My behavior shows that I'm married. I wear a ring. It's visible. People know I'm married. I don't flirt. I don't become unfaithful. I don't hide anything. You know why? Because my relationship with her is personal, but it's not private. Like, I don't want anybody to know about this. No, I want you to know I'm married, and I'm glad I'm married. My relationship with God is the same way. My relationship with God is personal, but it's never private. People should know when they look at you, when they look at me, that we have a relationship with the God of this universe. They should be able to see that it's visible. My new relationship with God is a result of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. And that cross is pivotal to the new covenant. It was his shed blood on the cross that grants us forgiveness of sins. So this covenant relationship, I need to stop and ask, do you have one? The God of this universe said, I want to have a relationship with you. And I have sent my son to basically overwrite the old covenant and start a new covenant. That new covenant was established through death on the cross. He paid the penalty for our sins and he conquered sin and death in that moment on the cross. And now he invites you and I to have a relationship with him. A very personal relationship with him. A relationship that others can see. But that decision is up to you. Have you made that decision? Is your belief visible? Our relationship with God is a covenant relationship and we should not only live it out, but we need to remember it. That's why we have baptism. That's why we bring members of the church forward you are part of a church family in a covenant relationship with God. And that's why we take communion. And this morning we're going to take communion. 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three to 25 says this. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God. Then he broke in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. 
We're going to take communion, but before we take communion, there's something else that Paul said in verse 28, and that's that we're supposed to examine ourselves. A holy God will not bless a person who has broken that new covenant. Our communion, time of communion, is an opportunity to examine our relationship with Christ and to be restored and back into those blessings of our covenant relationship. The communion that we're about ready to take, it's a reminder that God said, I want to have a relationship with you. It's a reminder that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die for you. When you grab the bread, when you take the cup, you're saying, this is the body of Jesus that was broken. This is the blood that was shed for me. And I'm taking this, and I'm going to remember what he did for me so that I can have a relationship with him. And we're going to pray before we do this because maybe right now you're struggling with something in your life, conflict between you and God. Get it right. Because he did this for you and I to get it right. As we take communion, it's a continuing statement that we have a repeated opportunity to declare publicly to everyone, I've got a covenant relationship with God. And when we share in the Lord's Supper, we're reminded that we look forward to the day when someday in heaven we will be doing this with the Lamb of God. It'll be incredible. If you're taking communion with us this morning, after I pray, Pastor Dave's going to lead us in a song, and I'm going to ask you just to get up from wherever you're at. There's tables in the front, and there's two tables in the back. Just go ahead and get up. After I pray, take a piece of bread, take a cup. Go ahead and take the bread, and then take the cup, and then come back to your seat. We'll close in a song. Would you please stand with me as I pray? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that as we prepare to take communion, remember, this is a reminder of that covenant relationship that you wanted to establish with us. We were created to, in your likeness, in your image, and to have a relationship with you and a relationship with others. But God, we can't get this relationship with others right until we get our relationship with you right. So God, thank you for sending your son, Jesus Christ to establish a new covenant, a covenant that was established by the shedding of his blood and the breaking of his body. His death didn't end in the grave. You brought him back to life. You resurrected him to defeat sin and death, have new life so that we could experience new life. We could have a relationship with you through Jesus Christ. God, thank you for that. God, if there's sins right now in our lives that we're struggling with, God, we want to confess those to you right now. Forgive us, Lord. It's for these sins that your son Jesus died. Thank you. Forgive us, Lord. Lord, we thank you for this moment we can confess to you. God, as we now take the bread, take the cup, we do this in remembrance of you, what you did, your love for us, and that someday we will be in your presence and we'll do this all together. But until that day, we will celebrate here on earth the relationship that you have given us. In that precious name we pray. Thank you.